0: The guest who, the guest who, the guest who with Jacob Gibbs, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Now let's start the show. Rod Owen, it's it's nice to meet you, buddy.
1: Nice
0: to be here. Yeah, it is. 20 years with the uh, Marine Corps. Yes, sir. Um... Started back in you were eighteen years old in nineteen seventy
1: six. Nineteen seventy six. I, I didn't I hadn't uh graduated high school at the time. Uh I, I went down and uh ended up signing up and back then in the seventies you could sign up and like leave. <laughs> uh I, I remember that, you know, I had gone down to the uh I think it's called MEPS and I had gone down there and, and everything was good. And I was leaving the next day. So they they took you back and it. I enlisted from Orlando, Florida. So I saw my dad that evening. I told him I need a ride to ride you to bus station tomorrow, and that was it. I was I was gone. I was gone to Paris so Island. So that was the next day. The very next day, I was wow. I was on a bus. So it's you know the whole process probably took like less than a week. Uh, probably a couple, th- maybe two or three days or something like that, where I probably went down and saw the recruiter and then went to MEPS in right. Jacksonville, Florida came back to Orlando got on a bus and left i mean that, that's just the way it was back then, but a people, pretty interesting start
0: kids were a lot tougher yeah there's a lot of I mean I know several eighteen like ten years old, but and
1: you I know, mean, it's you know it's it's kind of surprising i have I have helped to encourage several young people along the way. I've been back to Paris Island probably twenty times in the last twenty three twenty four years and
0: that's in orlando. School.
1: No, no, No. Paris Island's in South Carolina. That's where our our boot camp is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And any time that I influence somebody and they end up in the Marine Corps, I always tell them, if if you graduate boot camp, I'll be there. So I go to every graduation of anybody that I know that's going to graduate. I go to their graduation. It's just cool to go back to Paris Island. One of the things that Marines know about that place or the Marines that went through there, there's yellow footsteps. Yeah, there's yellow footsteps on the asphalt, and when you get to Paris Island, you're generally on a bus. I my story was a little different. I I wasn't on the bus. You you may have seen commercials where the bus pulls up and this GI runs on and he's just slobbering mad and he's yelling <laughs> at him and the kids are tripping over themselves getting off the bus. They get out there and there's yellow footprints. Don't, they tell you to get on the footprints. Get on the footprints. And uh, so it's always cool to go back there even at this age 65 years old you know and I go back and I stand on the footprints when I'm there that's what we do. <laughs> that's
0: it's, neat. Yeah. It is cool. It's it's really so, cool. So so they put those there like there's there's several footprints oh, there yeah. just
1: Yeah, there's a whole platoon's worth. There's like okay. uh, I don't know probably 70 pairs of footprints. footprints. Out there. And even if you go to the if you go to the museum, the Marine Corps Museum in Quantico, Virginia, uh they have a little yellow footprint thing there in the museum it's pretty cool (laughs) you know it's just that means a a lot to any marine that has gone through paris island
0: oh yeah so you so like y'all get off the bus and first person goes up the first
1: yellow they just start yelling at you and everybody's scared to death they don't nobody (laughs) likes to admit it you know most kids when they get there in the first place it's a lot of street tough kids you know you, you generally end up with a lot of kids that are from questionable backgrounds or rough backgrounds i right, guess i yeah. should say you know so you think you're you think you're a badass when you get there <laughs> till those di's start yelling at you and stuff I, it scares the hell out of you <laughs> and i you know a lot of people still a lot of people will say they weren't scared by him, but yeah they were, they were yeah. yes they were
0: i remember watching Gelmer Powell, man yeah <laughs> Sergeant Carter. Yeah, Sergeant Carter. He didn't take no bull, man. <laughs> no,
1: that's, uh, Sergeant Carter was a, a good beginning. Have you ever saw the movie Full Metal Jacket?
0: Somebody I, said that today.
1: I can't remember the, the gunies, uh, any, uh
0: That was where they were. Uh, it was a helicopter pilot with the. When they're like a gunner or something on there. Wasn't it the helicopter and the gunner, too? No, there was a was, scene of that. That was 100. Black
1: Hawk down, probably. Okay, okay. Yeah, it probably Black was. Black down. Uh, the movie that had the gunny in it that was really the closest to what you would, what a real drill instructor would be, would have been that movie, Full Metal Jacket. That DI in that movie was the real deal. He actually was a Marine Staff Sergeant, I believe he was uh, granted or, or given a, a honorary uh, promotion to Gunnery Sergeant, okay. which is I retired as a Gunnery Sergeant after 20 years.
0: Okay, what is that exactly?
1: Well, like, you, you you got your enlisted side and you got your officer side. So the officer side is all, uh, you know, mostly guys that have, that have gone through college, got college degrees and right. stuff, then they join. Uh, the enlisted side is like me, just off the street, you know, I mean, just enlisted guys. And uh, you can go from E1, which is a private, up to E9, which is a sergeant major in the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, you get promoted along the way. I had... Uh, 14 years in the Marine Corps when I got promoted to my last rank, really? which was Gunnery Sergeant.
0: Yeah.
1: I had 14 years in, and I retired as a gunny. Uh, <clears throat> so you know, it's just a, it's just the way you advance through the ranks. Which and ones you like the best? Oh, you like being the, the Gunnery of, Sergeant, definitely you did? the best. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> by then you know what you're doing. Uh, the Marines that are working for you have expectations. You know, you're supposed to know what you're doing. You're the guy uh-huh. that answers all the questions. So. You answer all the questions, and you provide a, uh, a communication between the enlisted folks and the officers. In, in my case, I did uh, electronics work. I did technical stuff in the Marine. Uh, the first four years was different. We, we'll, I have that on my notes. We talked yeah. about me being a ceremonial Marine. Yeah, yeah. Sixteen years of my career was spent doing technical stuff. I actually worked on this, the air traffic control scopes uh Just like you have in a tower
0: mm-hmm.
1: but this is tactical stuff where you gotta you know you, you have to have air traffic control for aircraft over combat zones too i mean you know so you can direct uh uh ground fire or, or aircraft support for ground troops. you have to have air traffic control in those areas too so I worked on those systems that provided the air traffic control scopes and the and the air search radars and stuff like that. So it was really technical, and even if I ever would have been in combat, which I was—I never went to combat in 20 years. Uh, that may surprise some folks, but actually, a lot of Marines don't end up. In, really? Yes, right. If you're in any other MOS or any other job other than like grunts, guns, or tanks, you most likely will not actually actually step onto a uh, battlefield. Really? Yeah, we would have been—we would have been 300 miles or or up to 300 miles away from the front. Because our radars can see 300 miles, so and we can direct uh, traffic, and then actually, as the aircraft get in close to r- where they're going to start dropping bombs or strafing areas, right. another unit takes over there and controls them when they're really in close. But we get them to the we get them to the action. That's pretty. Yeah, I
0: mean that's, that's fascinating, you, really. You
1: know, there's a lot <clears throat> of stuff that goes on in the background when it comes to combat. Of course, all the glory does, and and. Reasonably should go to those that are actually on the right, ground on the fighting, doing the fights, uh, the yeah. tankers, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 bad dudes. Uh, but there's just so much stuff that goes on in the rear. You know, the t- the 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 motor T folks that drive the trucks, that mm-hmm. fuel the tanks, that bring food to the other Marines or whatever. You know, I mean, there's just so much stuff that goes on in a battle that uh, you you just don't hear about. You just see the fighting.
0: Right. Yeah. You only hear the people that was. Right there in the action, basically, right. yeah. But there's a lot of people behind the scenes.
1: Kind of like a there's movie. Like, there's yeah. actually, there's probably like five or so. For every one Marine that goes into combat, there may be five, ten that kind of provide support for that that person or those people as they go in, you know. Communications, obviously, you can imagine the the degree of communication that they need. Oh, I guarantee you yeah. the When they're in the hunt. <laughs> They need to be able to be kept informed and stuff. And today, of course, with, a, with a, oh, the all robot, the ground robots that can do surveillance and you've got drones, of course, overhead, mm-hmm. you just got so much more stuff going on now, even than when I was doing it.
0: See, the drones, Um, I've actually got a neighbor. Mm-hmm. He works for like NASA. Yeah. And I'll see his drone leave out yeah. a lot of nights. You know, he's got the little red and green light on it. And, right. Uh, it's He's actually flew it up in the backyard and stuff. He's, he's some kind of engineer. Um, he's for NASA or whatever. Yeah. Sure. The drones, I, I mean, you don't even hear them you, you know, unless you see you it. Cannot you cannot
1: hear them. If they're right. up high. Now, the military drones, we're talking about a, a pretty good-sized little bird. We're not talking. You know, well, of course, they do have them, too. They have right. the small ones. They're used by smaller units. You know, uh, Maybe a, a squad or, or even a fire team might be out there. They might have a drone they can throw up that lets them look over the hill you know instead of having to uh, walk over the hill and get shot at
0: that's right yeah yeah so and you t- did the um you did the ones that's robotic like that are on the ground yes, didn't I did you? Those yeah. Too. yeah
1: yeah that program was at Huntsville when I first came down that is actually the program that I started working on down here okay. i ran the uh i ran the uh supply database that that provided all the parts and all the logistics for the for the ground robot uh, program down here. So uh, the ground robots themselves are just super interesting. You know, they started out, and I just, I, I can't remember the names of some of them, but one of them was called a Talon. Uh, and this Talon is the one that they would use over in Iraq when they were doing a lot of the IED stuff, when the terrorists were doing the IED things.
0: That's actually like a ground... Month. Stuff, I know, where Anything, you step on it, trip a really, while, yeah, or whatever, that's right. right? Any, okay. any,
1: any booby trap, if you will. Right. Uh, they were putting <laughs> um, explosives inside of animal carcasses, and, and unfortunately, you know, from what we've seen on videos and stuff, too, they would they would give a, a hand grenade to a kid and tell them walk over there to oh, the yeah? soldiers and stuff. You know, it's just sad stuff. But anyway, the ground robots, the Talon particularly, it had a... a a mechanical grip on it, and you could send it up there instead of having a soldier or a marine walk up there and check out this thing. You could just send the robot up there, and it could actually pick it up, or roll it over, or move it, or you know, cause it to explode. And, you know, and all you're losing is a robot. We'll be right back.
0: If you're wanting to shop guest who merchandise or maybe create your own, check out Us. They have everything from hats, shirts koozies, coasters, you name it, they make it. Uh, check them out, addisondesigns.us. Don't forget to use the promo code GUEST2, receive 10% off. Check them out. Uh, Are the robots expensive? I mean, like the build of them or anything? Are they?
1: They were, you know, I tell you, it's just it's kind of like, and, and, and a good example of that along the lines of the robots. Yeah. We were already playing as kids. We were playing with uh, remote control trucks and cars, right? Yeah. Well, a remote control truck that we play with as a kid cost, let's just say, ten bucks, just for sake of simplicity. Well, that that very same thing with a with a now with a military ID on it costs ten times as much. But it's exactly the same. Really? It's exactly the same. You know, sometimes certainly they do have to build things to military specs, but. You know, I mean, something like that little robot, you you put a camera on it or you put a microphone on it, a little like a TRX uh, Model 10 uh, remote control truck, like you or I might play with. You put some uh, surveillance stuff on it and you send it up there or you send it into a building and, you know, you you do it that way instead of having to walk into yourself anymore.
0: So, do they ever, so like, let's just say you're going up some road or. Afghanistan? Do they send when they talk about they send sometimes like the robot ahead? Absolutely. Have you visually spotted something, or is it just
1: when they launch them? I can tell you this from the from the you know being privy to the tactical side of that. Uh, they had even designed the heavy the buffalos. I think it was the buffalo uh, heavily armored vehicle. They had designed it to where you could launch your robot from inside there. So you really? never even had to be exposed to fire outside, and they would launch the robot. Now, generally, the when they're if they're going to stop and launch the robot, yeah, it's because there's something up there in the road that's questionable, or it could be an ambush. You know, there might be a curve in the road and then some kind of a obstacle that's going to slow Where you, you down. Or you can't see or something. Right. So right. you send your robot up there, or you launch your drone and you get a look that way.
0: So if you were you were going up through there, are those
1: like a mine or something? Is it barely visible? Like by the eye, or is it? I can only speak from a training perspective because I wasn't right. actually there in combat. Well, that's good but enough. you know, I did train this stuff. I uh, I spent a couple of years going down to Fort Polk and working with the soldiers down there with uh, ground sensors, and uh, uh, I got to learn a little bit about all the IEDs that they used over there because some of the other soldiers were there training them for that part of their right, getting ready, getting getting them ready for their mission over in Afghanistan. Uh, so yeah, uh, there was. There's always. Uh, I mean, from the training perspective, there is. Uh, you use what's happened over there. That's what, and that's why we know. Like, so what I would teach. From I didn't history. necessarily. That's right. I didn't necessarily have to be on the ground myself, right. but somebody brought back all that data, all that knowledge, and they gave it to us as instructors, and then we would go out and teach that to the soldiers in turn. So. This is what you got to be aware of, you know. When you, if you see a, a dead cow laying in the road, yeah, it's probably not a dead cow. It's not just a dead cow, but it's probably, you know, it may be booby trapped. So there's just all kinds of knowledge that filters back to the rear, and then folks like myself are lucky enough. So to y'all, be a y'all kind
0: of try to learn, like, identify those of things like animal carcasses. Yeah.
1: It's, it's important because. You're the one that's arming these kids in this in, in each little facet. You know, I did ground sensors and I did ground robots, and then someone else would come in and teach them how to use the drone and all that right. stuff. So you don't want to send any kids over there uh, that don't have the best knowledge you can give them. Yeah, it's a it's a responsibility. So y'all studied like all the.
0: So I mean, you studied basically like what Iraq uses right. bombs and kind of where they place them yep. and that kind of stuff. When, whenever you were, um, we were, I was thinking about this earlier, whenever I saw that you'd been to Korea, mm-hmm. you've been in Korea, been in Korea a few Have, times. So what part of, was you in like North Korea, South Korea, or just no, the countries? A,
1: the place that we would go to in Korea, uh, when I was there as a Marine, I would go to a place called Pohong, Korea, which is down on the uh, Southern tip of the peninsula there, South Korea. Um, I also ventured back to Korea probably four or five times uh, traveling with another uh, retiree. He was a retired Army Sergeant Major. And we would go back to Korea. Now, when I went back to Korea as an Army contractor, I was working on uh, Patriot Missile Systems. When I was there in uh, as in my capacity as a Marine, I was there in, at a place called Chipo Beach down by Pohong, south end of the peninsula and there we were you know i mean we were doing combined arms exercises that would have cultivate or uh, ultimately ended up being how you would fight a war over there war started in Korea, you know kind of learning
0: the territory and stuff i guess kind of the
1: territory just being familiar with being in that country uh it's kind of interesting because, of course, you know back then, and and you hear it today. Like if there's any large exercises, the Russians are whining about this and that, and the Chinese are whining because we're doing this and that. But you know, and they do the same thing. Everybody stays prepared for war. Uh, so you know that's that's what you do when you when you're in the military at a peacetime. You're always training to be in war.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. So, so you so like South Korea, they're like, hey, you can come. Like- Basically, yep. because we know you have our back.
1: That's right. Something
0: goes down. That's right. I saw a um, I saw a video the other day. It was really disturbing. Um, talking about North Korea.
1: Mm.
0: Um, there was actually three men and a lady with her small child. And reckon if you try to flee the country, from try to flee North Korea, yeah. you can. Not only did they give. The three men made it through and they just took off running, whatever. But the lady and the baby both got 99 plus in prison. Yeah, I mean, we we really need to be like, super proud of the. Uh, I, you know, tell I mean, are we're, we're fortunate we wasn't born in that, you know, what I mean, like yeah, it, you know,
1: absolutely. Let Let me share something that you know, you, this is something you, you cannot get from videos, you cannot get it from watching TV. You can watch the news on TV, and you can see things like right. you just saw. But you cannot get the gist of life over there until you actually see these how these folks live. Uh, when we think of poor in this country, we still have cell phones. We have something oh, yeah. to eat. Most of us have a place to go to sleep at night that's somewhat safe, maybe not completely. We don't know what poor is. When you go to these other countries, when you go to Korea or the Philippines— or uh, if you go down inside of Mexico even, when you go to these other countries, you see poor, you see people, whole families living uh, in, down in Mexico. I've seen fa- a family living in a ditch with a with a piece of tin over the top of this ditch. That's their home. Uh, Korea, people are just, I mean, they're just out there surviving, and uh-huh. that is poor. Uh, terrible it's really an eye-opener you don't get to you don't get to know these things unless you actually get to participate in those cultures
0: i guarantee you that's what uh with the russian ukraine war you know seeing basically what if let's just say russia pulls out i mean it'd basically be like germany when really when hitler came out you know it's like you have a you have your country is torn up you know i mean that's what um i watched a show a while back it was a after Adolf Hitler, um, and it was showing like the country stuff. There was like hundreds of thousands of kids that didn't know where their parents were.
1: Sure, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, it was I mean, it's an eye opener. I mean, it really is. Think back to our Civil War. You know, imagine yeah. imagine all those children. They used to put children on trains and just send those trains across country, trying to find anybody that would take, take care of the those kids. kids.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to think it, you're living. Shit, basically, oh, yeah. if you if you're willing to put your kids on something, that's right, knowing that you're a good you parent or whatever, right? Yep. Just hoping, you know, a prayer that that's right, they will find somebody that would take them. I remember seeing in and then that documentary or whatever. There was like a couple of places where people would um they would go when there was just like pictures of kids like all over the wall, yeah, and they're actually trying to find their kids. And the men, you know, the men between like eighteen and Forty or so i mean they were almost non-existent anymore you know and i'm i i know ukraine's probably not the greatest country in the world but i don't think we should sit back and let russia do do you i mean kind of what's your opinion you
1: know it's i don't i i I don't want to see us get involved uh personally i do not want to see us get involved as far as putting troops on the ground right yeah no Uh, I certainly think that we should support them. Uh, I don't know for a fact their status with NATO.
0: Uh, That
1: should come into play. Did they have the opportunity to join NATO and they chose not to? We're still supporting them, even if they didn't. But, you know, that's part of that game, too. You know, if you want to be part of this alliance, if you want us to help you be part of the alliance. So you know, I I don't believe that we should put troops on the ground. My, my own personal opinion.
0: See, I don't like that either. I don't like the support. You know, well, because
1: we always give it back, and I'm right. I'm sorry. That's just a that's just a fact. We've had we've gone and fought these wars for other folks, and and I get it. We're the United States of America, and I'm proud of it. I am too. But. Uh, I hate putting our troops on the ground, and then we, we go over there, and like in Vietnam, 50,000 lives, 50,000 lives, and we gave it all back. We just walked out. What was the whole purpose in the first place? Right. We shouldn't have been there. If We weren't going to go fight a war and win a war. We shouldn't have been there.
0: We need to finish. Yep. In other words, we need you know, to if finish. you're going go there, you got to.
1: I just hate that we, <clears throat> so many young American lives yeah, yeah. get wasted and stuff.
0: Over really something that's not our fight. Right. But it's just hard to sit back and watch, you know?
1: You know, I mean, the, the Russians have been to Afghanistan, got their tails kicked and went home. The French were in Vietnam before we ever went in there, got their tails kicked and went home. Then we turn right around and do the same doggone thing. Yeah. Like we go in there and we get our tails kicked and home. And, and people don't like to admit that we, we have, you know, somewhat lost battles or wars, but Vietnam was not a winning endeavor. Afghanistan was not a winning endeavor, so call it what it is.
0: Yeah, see, Russia, too, you know, growing up, people would always say, man, if Russia, if Russia, if Russia, but seeing their plan for Ukraine, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, there was, you know, people taking pictures with missiles out that didn't blow up in the middle of the streets. And, you know, I think one— I might have heard it on Leland Live. I don't know if you listen to Leland Live. Um, some Russian guy he threw like fifteen grenades, and none of them went off, and he finally had to surrender. But it, supposedly they bought this stuff like back in the early seventies from Pakistan, or you know, it's like well, you know, tanks were running out of fuel. You know, one of the,
1: that's one of the things that we know about Russia. Uh, During my period of of, of service, anyway, from the 70s to the 90s, the Cold War kind of thing, you know, there was always this fear factor between us and Russia uh, as as to who had the most missiles and all that stuff. Right, yeah. Well, nearing the end of the Cold War, we knew then that even though Russia had a lot of tanks and they had a lot of submarines and they had a lot of airplanes, very, I mean, the, the, the... it was a small percentage that would have ever functioned. Right. Because yeah. They didn't have repair parts. So outdated. Yeah, it yeah. was outdated, <clears throat> and uh, you know that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, knowledge that ended that Cold War. They they just couldn't keep up financially. No. Now we're not in such great shape.
0: No, uh, that's what with China too. You know, yeah. China and Russia supposedly having meetings and stuff, but you know you got if if China tried to fight us, I almost feel like it would be crazy. 'Cause everything we have is made there. You know, I mean it wouldn't if we cut them off, it wouldn't
1: it's certainly something that you, every good concerned American should be thinking about that stuff every time, you know, when we say, Ah, so what if it's made China? Uh and it's not just us, it's it's our it's our leadership. They're the ones that have to stop that trade. Right, yeah. You know, and you're right. It it should be a scary spot uh prospect that how are we going to get through those first few months or maybe even the first couple of years of, of life? Because we depend on China for we almost do. everything. I mean,
0: almost everything. I guarantee you everything on this table is China. Steel, it's got steel parts we need to
1: be brought back up to speed again because, you know, during the, Right, yeah. We during, need to
0: put our people back to work. During Trump's
1: yeah. uh, period, we had—he uh, was putting everybody back to work, mm-hmm. Americans back to work. Now we're right back to being totally dependent on everything, uh, yeah. energy— Parts, pieces, we'll be right back.
0: Alabama Horseshoe Pitchers Association is currently accepting new members and looking for participants. If you think that's something you might would be interested in, check them out by Facebook or website. Just type in that search engine, Alabama Horseshoe Pitchers Association. You can find all your rules and regulations there. Maybe you're just starting out, maybe you've been playing a long time. It's all handicapped, so you're not going to have a newcomer playing against a veteran. So everything's matched up to where everything is fair. That's a great group of guys over there. If you're into horseshoes and you want to be yelling ringer, go check it out. it's like a nowadays, man, it's scary times. I mean, that's right. Just thinking about that kind of stuff, how dependent we are on them and what seeing the. Price eggs go up like ass, and yeah. yeah, I mean it. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the chickens. That's right. we talking
1: about the chickens. We touch on that for just a second. So yeah. uh, you raise chickens, I raise chickens. Yeah. We raise ours just for eggs, and you know, we're just we're learning a lot of this stuff at, at yeah. our farm. And uh so I as I was revealing to you a lot of folks the, the chickens generally stop laying eggs in the winter months anyway mm-hmm. because they're they're molting and the winter months you if you want to keep your chickens laying eggs from what I understand you just got to put some light on them you know and they and they think the days longer so they lay right okay, yeah they right? Need,
0: they need like 12 yeah. hours of sunlight yeah something, or something. like that yeah. so
1: so during the winter your chickens normally cut back on their egg laying anyway so, but online, of course, because we're we're so doggone enthralled by everything, everything that's online. Like online, <laughs> there is a uh, conspiracy theory that's going on. It's beginning to dwindle now, but everybody was thinking it's because of Perina Chow, a uh, Perina uh, animal feed.
0: Right, the chicken food, Yeah.
1: Perina's also involved somehow in the selling side of the eggs, you know, at the supermarket. So. So now we have a new conspiracy theory that says Karina <laughs> purposely is messing up the, the the chicken feed so that we have to go buy eggs, and the eggs are now what five six bucks. Oh a yeah, day. they're they're uh, expensive. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just interesting that those kind of things. I find it funny.
0: <laughs> I do too. Will you man. ever
1: know the truth? No, you'll no, never, know, you'll the never the know. Could they do it? Absolutely, they could. Oh yeah, they could do <laughs> a heartbeat if yep. they wanted to. Yeah. <clears> we already went through the thing with the dog food too. If you yeah, the dog, dog, dog food is a just shortage. a couple years ago. Remember, they were saying there was a lot of dogs all of a sudden getting cancer and dying and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it was a big deal. Well, all the feed's coming from China. So who knows?
0: So that could be a, that could be a conspiracy theory there itself. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the dog food stuff, I'm, you know, I really don't understand how you get a shortage of dog food. Well,
1: just think about the toilet paper back then. Oh, oh my God, we we're, we're about ready to fist fight over <laughs> toilet paper just five years ago, so working for the
0: railroad man I'm, i've learned to use the woods and <laughs> <There you go. laughs> which i've been going from there five years now but yeah
1: i think if things keep going the way they're going right now a lot of people are going to learn to use the woods <laughs> oh
0: yeah that's right which you know a lot of people were kind of i hate to oh, call them like doomsday preppers i guess they are but you know people's growing gardens they're yeah. buying livestock now right. and you know all that kind of stuff and
1: so how silly is it now i mean you know oh yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: meat got high you know meat yep. was yeah outrageous well it's still
1: was... it's still pretty bad yeah you know and and i tell you just the other day we were watching some videos online yeah and uh we were watching a, a video about foods that are not allowed to be sold in europe and other countries but they're okay to sell here in our country you know when do we get tired of, of eating all this crap that they give us in our food, you know, yeah. and a lot of times when you find out, you know, the fluoride in toothpaste and there's, there's several examples of how they have found ways of using up byproducts. It's not even food related. Some of the pesticides and right. stuff, they're byproducts of pesticides and they're allowed to put that in our food. Oh, well, you know, yeah.
0: I've always heard processed <laughs> stuff too, like this stuff. If you can get it in a can right. and it's not a soup or something, It's got meat in it, and it can last seven years or whatever. It's like, yeah, (laughs) there's something major. Uh, Another thing that's on short is, too, that really blew my mind. Salting crackers.
1: How about that? Crazy.
0: (laughs) Even the off-brand. Dollar General brand. Yeah. Walmart brand.
1: Isn't it amusing to you? It's amusing to me. Whenever something's coming up, like if they say bad weather's coming, you know, tornadoes are coming, whatever it is up here in our area, tornadoes usually, unfortunately, for us. Down in Florida, it's it's hurricanes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, out west, it's I don't know what it is out there. But anyway, you know, it's it's always funny because people run to the store and buy milk and bread, and you know, <laughs> what what good's that going to do you when the power's out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a sandwich, okay, I get that, but you got to have a refrigerator to keep your baloney cold. Right, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Unless so it's, it's the winter months, it's you're really in trouble. Funny. <laughs> Which in Florida, it doesn't really yeah, matter. No, you're in trouble no matter what. That's yeah. Right. But um, okay, you was talking about you was talking about like the White House ceremony. Yeah, um, talk about that a little bit. I think that's interesting.
1: That was my beginning in the Marine Corps. I uh, I arrived at Paris Island in April of 1976, and I I recall the drill instructors referring to referring to me as a Yankee white. Never knew what they were talking about, and you certainly didn't ask them. <laughs> right. I just remember being referred to as a Yankee white. Well, later on, I found out that a Yankee white is somebody that is. Uh, Predisposed or um, slated to go to the White House or to go to Camp David, and and don't ask me how I was not that good of a kid by any means when I was a growing <laughs> up, young man. Uh, but somehow I ended up in boot camp. I was identified as a Yankee White, which is somebody that's going to get a a uh, top secret clearance to work with a like the president or maybe at the Pentagon. So they were actually
0: uh, selecting you, like. Bef- Pretty hot.
1: Bef- uh, yeah. yeah, before okay. I ever even knew anything about it. Um, and and you really don't know about that process. Even when I got to Marine Barracks Eighth and I, which is uh that's the headquarter for the Marine Corps. I mean, that's the headquarters. And that's also where if you've ever seen a silent drill team, the Marine Corps silent, silent drill team on TV, that the ones that flip the rifles and, oh, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. That's where they're based. And that's what I did for the first two years from nineteen seventy six to nineteen seventy eight. I was a ceremonial Marine, and we marched on Friday night. Every Friday night at the barracks, you marched a sunset parade. And every Tuesday night at the Iwo Jima Monument uh, in Arlington, you marched the Tuesday night parades. And then you also, like in my case, uh, one of the very first things I did was Jimmy Carter's inauguration parade. I marched in that, just, you know, one of 120 Marines. You I mean, a lot. Yeah. Every branch is represented. Was you doing the rifle no, flipping? I and all did, that? No, I never did the that 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 particular part of the program is is reserved for like just two or three Marines. Period. Oh, really? Okay. There's only like two Marines in the whole Marine Corps But they gotta that. be
0: like certain high. Everybody
1: or, back hmm. then, that you, I think it was five nine was required. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I I used to be five ten or five eleven, but I think I've shrunk a little bit. <laughs>
0: I've noticed that myself, man. You get to slump, and you just keep getting. I'm, uh, I'm
1: vertically challenged. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I, the first two years I spent down at Marine Barracks, Eighth and I, doing ceremonies. So you you do all this marching, and all you do is prepare for ceremonies. We, I was also a, a body bearer at the time, so we would do we would carry the caskets at uh, Arlington National Cemetery. Okay. And uh, there's a couple other uh, military cemeteries around there. And, uh, you know, like if you participated in a uh, a joint ceremony or a joint funeral, there would be—all the branches would be represented. There would be two Marines, two Army, two Air Force, and two—
0: So Navy. I've been to a couple of funerals yeah. like that where they have the flag. They fold the, the flag. flag. And
1: yeah, the, and the taps and, the, Rot, and yeah, white, rifle fire, 21 mm-hmm. gun salute. Uh, so I, I did a little bit of that when I was there at Marine Barracks 8th and I— uh march and jimmy carter's uh inauguration parade uh several things we were at the white house it was uh you know as a young kid i was like 18 19 years old up there probably had not turned 19 yet and uh one of the things that we had to do was a ceremony at the white house when Menachem bagan was there and this was not during the camp david summit we'll get to that in a minute but we were doing this ceremony at the White House, where there's all kinds of protesters outside the White House, and they're throwing tear gas at those at the protesters and stuff. And we're all standing <laughs> there, and you, you're not allowed to move. Obviously, you're at parade rest uh-huh. or, or attention or whatever. You can't move. Everybody out there is getting gas. The gas is drifting back across us. Oh man, so you're, you're trying. You're having
0: to try to stay. Yeah, you're just yeah. standing
1: there trying to be stoic and uh, military, you know, and uh, it, it was just quite comical, really.
0: <laughs> but that was tough.
1: Oh it was uh it was a uh, learning experience. And and while you're a ceremonial marine up there you also learn how to do the troop and stomp as they call it because they, we would have been the ones they called had the, anything happened physically at the White House uh we would have been one, one of the units that would have deployed there immediately. Okay.
0: So you ought to have been some of the first ones like a,
1: Right. I'm yeah. seeing yeah. <laughs> We would have been protecting the president or we we may have been uh, directed over to the uh, to the congressional area. Right. Wherever they would have told us, there was, there was two or three different areas of responsibility where we could go. So that was all part of that, too. Washington, D.C. was, you know, for a young kid, uh, never really had done any traveling or anything like that. I mean, it was pretty cool. And, and uh, eventually, I ended up up at Camp David. In 78, I went to Camp David, which is the presidential retreat. And I was up there when uh, uh, Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat. Mohamed Sadat being the president of Egypt and Menachem Begin being the prime minister of Israel, when they came up for the peace, the Camp David peace accords with Jimmy Carter, uh, I was one of the guards that was up there for that. What a privilege! I mean, you know, we're oh, in, I guarantee tell in, you, in that environment, it's not like you're standing over there and they're way over there. You're you're you're, you're, right, you're right there you're with them basically. You're, yeah, yeah there's, there's no way to get away from. And you were guys. like
0: a 19 year old kid
1: yeah nineteen really? uh well I would have been twenty by then I would have yeah. been twenty but still
0: young oh I mean, yeah very young. you know yeah. yeah and
1: this you know <laughs> that's what's really amazing about stuff like that is however that worked however they know who they want up there is already taken place so you know there there' are very few mistakes made on in duty like that uh if you do make a mistake you're just gone i mean really I just, yeah if you do anything wrong you're like gone the next morning oh, everybody's really? going hey what, what happened to owen well, <laughs> he's gone what would they do with you Would they, they put you back, you back down? We, in that case oh, they okay. send you back to marine barracks 8th and i okay and you just continue doing ceremonial stuff or or get sent out to the fleet somewhere That's, but the let's see some so uh there was at that point in time, you know, back then you couldn't see Camp David, you couldn't film it, you couldn't do anything. If anybody, if anybody was seen taking pictures of Camp David or videos, uh, man, they would, uh, yeah, they'd, they'd call the park police on you or the state cops, and somebody would. I call. guess they
0: just wanted that kind of where people didn't know. I guess for like yeah. in, in case of an attack I mean, or something, like they kind of wanted that yeah. just to be
1: right. You know, I mean, that is like a place where, where he might go today. So it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. You know, you got to see uh, Billy Carter, who's passed away. Uh, Billy Carter would come up there occasionally, and you would see senators and congressmen and stuff like that. You know, and then, you know, you just kind of, you just do what you do. I mean, we're there None. to guard that, that facility and those people. So you do what you do, they do what they do, and, and everybody gets along, and pretty cool.
0: That's neat, man. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's really, there's, That's one thing with the military people, the things y'all get to see and the people you get to meet, you know, and things like that. I mean, you should, you know what I mean? I mean, like you're, you're going to fight for the country. I think you should, I think presidents should make it like a trip all the time. They're around one of these bases or whatever to stop in.
1: Isn't it interesting that such young people get to do what they do in the military? I mean, tank commanders, uh, you know, a 20 year old tank commander. Or yeah, I mean it's just incredible. Uh a a twenty year old will take a, a squad of Marines out, twelve Marines, thirteen Marines will twelve Marines will go out into the field under the direction of a twenty year old.
0: I mean it's incredible. Makes a man out of you quick. It, it sure does. Guarantee you, yeah. Sure does. <clears throat> that is, that's yeah. it really is. Um talking about you were in Arizona. Yeah. You stayed in Arizona a while. So after my- How was that? I mean, I just I've I've been I to Arizona to one time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I uh, I remember flying out west for the first time. I was actually on my way to Camp Pendleton, California, and I remember flying out west, and I was looking out the window of this airplane, and uh, things just start to fade to a ugly brown after you pass <laughs> yeah. over the like the Mississippi River, right? So I'm flying out there, and I'm thinking, wow, this is this is this is different. You know, and you get out there in those in those areas, Arizona and uh California, and I happen to be in the Mojave Desert the whole just about the whole time I was in desert areas, Yuma, Arizona, and in uh, Camp Pendleton, California and 29 Palms, California. Uh, uh, just incredible to get out there in the first place. And so this was after a short stint, I I had, you know, done my thing with uh Marine Barracks Eighth and I in Camp David. Then I got out of the Marine Corps for just a little while.
0: I uh, yeah, remember you, you told me. I stayed me, yeah. out.
1: I stayed out for about, I think it was like six months or eight months or something. And uh, I was doing construction work, went back doing construction work and stuff like that. I was doing construction work one day, and I was thinking, gee, I got out of the Marine Corps just so I could come home and climb scaffolding with, you know, with material on my shoulder <laughs> or something. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I, I dropped that stuff. I was working with a brother-in-law at the time. And I dropped that stuff, and I went down and re-enlisted again, and off I went again, this time to 29 Palms, California, and a new MOS, new job and everything, and gone again, and and ended up in Yuma, Arizona after school. I went to tech school in 29 Palms, and uh, ended up in Yuma, Arizona. And Yuma was where I i think I put down on there a little bit about, I ended up riding rodeo for five yeah. years, rode the road. To, there was a military rodeo association, who would, who would have guessed? But there, and it still exists, there's a military rodeo association, so you can get like TDY orders, TAD orders, and you can go ride rodeo as, wow. as a Marine army or air force anyway they all come you know so <laughs> uh so i i ended up out in yuma and did a little bit of rodeo and ran some wild mustangs back in the back in the early 80s when we were doing that you would go to sparks nevada yeah and uh, you would go to the blm corrals up there and there would just literally be thousands of horses that they've rounded up and you know it's kind of like uh it, it was like chaos. You would pull up with your stock trader and you'd say, "Okay, I'm, we're here to adopt uh, uh, so many horses." And they were like twenty-five bucks back. So, it uh, was cheap. Just, you know, the best the best you could get out of that was total chaos. So you would end up with a stock trader full of horses. Everybody paid their twenty-five bucks, and you'd take these wild mustangs home, and you didn't know much. You know, back then we didn't have videos to watch or anything like that. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> mostly what we did was what we saw on westerns. You know. <laughs>
0: So you're like, I yeah, know, exactly. we can get these horses and try, uh, break them, and yeah, and yeah, really,
1: that's what it was. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was comical sometimes what we would get ourselves into with these mustangs. And those were wild, so they just absolutely wild, never been touched by people other than you know it, running them through a squeeze shoot and putting a freeze brand on them, and 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 they're almost always ill too. The the wild mustangs coming out of the desert areas anyway are almost always really ill. You got to give them like. A, two or three or four courses of antibiotics and stuff. So it's it's such a learning experience to be around wild mustangs and then couple that with a bunch of Marines that get out there and drink some (laughs) beer and and think they're cowboys. And We'll saddle this thing
0: up. (laughs) Oh yeah, fire (laughs) up here, hold my beer. (laughs) Hold my beer, watch this. That's the only broke bone I ever have is on a bull. Yeah. Yes, and that ended my career.
1: I did that for five years. I rode bulls for five years. I had a... I still have a good friend uh David Nichols, he was uh one of the Marines I was with, and he was a bull rider also, and he just kept right on riding i was uh I had probably quit around the age of thirty, probably one of my last bulls and uh David ended up being a roommate of mine later on in a, as we were getting really ready you know closer to retiring and stuff and David being a roommate, he was telling me he was riding bulls down at this ranch, and I can't remember where he at. It was down by Palm Springs somewhere, but he was riding jackpot bulls. Well, gosh, that sounds like fun, and I think I was about 36 years old when I got on my last bull. <laughs> and it was funny, because we went down to this ranch, and I bought a whole new bag of equipment. I didn't have any bull riding equipment anymore, so I bought a whole new bag of equipment. We got onto this this ranch. My, my wife's with me. And uh, we get down there, and they've got one bull. He's off in this little round shoot by himself, or a little round pen by himself. And if if anybody walks within his sight, he just starts throwing his horns and bellering. And and I told my wife, I said, I guarantee you, I haven't been on a bull in five years. I guarantee you, they're going to roll him up there and call my name. And you bet, they did. (laughs) (laughs) And it was everything I could do not to get on that bull. I did not want to get on that bull, I'm telling you.
0: You like the thought of you know, it, but not yeah, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, by the time you're 36 years old, you're starting to think you're you're a little more, oh, yeah. you know, you're wrong. not quite you're not quite so indestructible. And sure enough, they rolled him up there and I did get on him. We put a rope on him. David obviously helped me get the rope on the bull and stuff, you know, and I will bet you I didn't last 2 seconds. They opened that gate and I I probably let go.
0: <laughs> you beat you beat my longest record. I'm
1: telling you. I did. I did okay when I was a young guy, and I was doing. I did okay at staying on yeah. the bulls, but man, oh man, I'm telling you, that last bull, I'll bet you, I let go as soon as I <laughs> open that gate.
0: <laughs> if you lasted two seconds, that was longer than me on a bull. I can tell you that right now.
1: It hurts, some. Yeah, my brother,
0: he always kids about. He'd say, "Here comes Jacob Giu. Oh My gosh, that was bad. You know when they opened the gate up? <laughs> that was always like a running joke with him. Yep. You know. And uh, one time I rode one, I think it was in Hayden, but it was like an oversized rope and steer, it wasn't a bull. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget. I rode that thing almost to the buzzer back then, well, in the Little Bridges or whatever, the, uh, it wasn't Little Bridges, it's like the junior high. Yeah. You only ride it for six seconds. Yeah. But it was it was so funny because I got through all. a off. long six seconds. It, so it is. It. It's very long, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was so funny because my face was really dusty. And you could see where I'd been crying, you know, my cry lines or whatever. (laughs) Adam never let me live that day.
1: There was a a ranch when we we rode out of Yuma. We had a a military rodeo team, if you will, out of Yuma, and we would go ride these different rodeos. And we would always go to this ranch called the Skyline Ranch in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, I've
0: been to Phoenix. That's where I've been. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. The big toaster. The, the yeah, stadium. that's, right, that's yeah.
1: right. Surrounded by the mountains and stuff. Yeah. yeah it's, man, it's, it's brutal in there. But we would go over there. I think it was on Wednesday nights. It was called a jackpot rodeo, and it was up at the Skyline Ranch. And I, I think it might still exist today, but I don't think it's a rodeo ranch anymore. But we would go up there, and we would ride bulls up there. And they have, for the longest time, I I got underneath a, a Scottish Highlander bull. Got huge horns on them. Big oh, wow. horns. Shaggy animals—they look like prehistoric beasts. I think I know what you're talking about. Actually. They're pretty short. Yeah. They're not big yeah, bulls. Yeah, yeah. They're short, but they're huge. My wife wants something minute. like that in oh, a yeah. real
0: miniature version. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Know. Yeah, it's I know it's it like bigger a bigger version. Of yes. It.
1: Uh, they had a picture of me hanging behind where you paid for your your jackpot that night on Wednesday nights. They had a picture of me hanging up there. I got under. I, how I got out from underneath that bull without broken bones or or you know I mean hurt. <laughs> Because there was a picture hanging there at the where you would pay, and it was like an arm sticking out this side with a horn, and maybe a a cowboy boot sticking out over here, and it's just a big (laughs) dust cloud with his head in the dust. Right, that was me getting just demolished underneath there. But I I got out of there without being, you know, seriously. (laughs) I was sore the next day, but it was just amazing. They had that picture hanging there for a long time.
0: (laughs) People don't understand the strength of those animals.
1: It's incredible.
0: It really is. I it's mean, when
1: I've tried a couple of horses too, you know, I try to saddle bronc and I try to bareback. Uh, you know, if somebody turned one out or something, I'd say, "Yeah, I'll take him." So I, I'll tell you, a, a bucking horse hurt me worse. I mean, it hurt worse oh, than a bucking horse.
0: Yeah, they're the very strong. The bull is just
1: a big, powerful thing, and you just kind of got to get in rhythm with him if you're lucky. Yeah. But the horse, man, they buck hard.
0: Oh yeah, they're. <laughs> I mean, they're strong animals. Man. I mean, <clears throat> look at some of them. When they rope a cow or whatever, you know, and they tie it around a saddle horn, that horse goes back and up. I mean, that cow goes down. Yep. I mean, yeah, they're, they're extremely strong.
1: That's amazing.
0: Now, on the, um, whenever you're just talking about, like, the corrosion control, what yeah. is that exactly?
1: Well, I, you know, it's, it's really nothing more than going around getting uh, uh, assessing. We go out and we take a look at all the, the missile systems and stuff that we yeah. were responsible for, and we would look at the corrosion that's on them. Now, that, of course— back into what the Army does to try to make those things last a long time. But in our case, the corrosion control teams, we would go out there and we would teach classes to the soldiers, this Rock. is what you need to do to stop the corrosion this is what you need to do to Is
0: that like rust and Yeah, that's all just rust. Pretty much. I mean, okay, Yeah, yeah, yeah I've I have, got bullets in my safe now that's
1: got You bet. Yeah. And you know They like turn in, green. In of. areas like Korea and over in the Middle East, even you wouldn't think the Middle East What you would think it would be dead dry over there right. in the desert areas now. Nah, that it's it's also very corrosive. So in Korea and Japan and Okinawa and all those places that we would go to, Guam, um the corrosion is caused by the saltwater environment. And then right, over yeah, in the on. arid areas, it's it's, it's uh, more more so caused by uh, uh, sand and, and, and those kind of elements. But, yeah, that's what we did. We, for a couple of three or four years, I traveled around uh, mostly with that retired Army sergeant major. And we would go, and we would, the first thing you do, you know, you get on the ground and you and you get a whole bunch of so, uh, soldiers from the unit that you're working with, and they'd give you the soldiers. you go to class. Teach them how to do all that stuff, and then go out there on the equipment with them and and uh, show sure them how man. to do this stuff. What
0: do you do? Are you are you like basically like putting like an oil or something on it, or are you just kind of basically just
1: no? You actually you actually get out there with grinders and and stuff, and you oh, and you so yeah. you you actually remove all the corrosion, whatever the corrosion is, you remove it, and then you actually prime it and paint it again, and paint it back to its its uh, original.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I guess there ain't no problem with like sparks or anything on that like the
1: well you have to be yeah you, you you would not end up doing corrosion control on a launcher that had a hot missile on it you wouldn't do that but uh yeah there's there's certainly safety precautions you have to go through in order to do that safely safely if, if, yeah if, if, <laughs> if you, you know, call that a relative safely? term it's a relative term to working on missiles
0: <laughs> yeah that's so funny though thinking about i mean that's Small stuff you don't think about, like the corrosion. Because yeah. I have bullets in the safe that the end of it is turning green. That's right. No lie. I mean, and yeah. now I've got a uh, one of those like bars or whatever, the heat stick kind of in yeah. there, whatever yeah. you know. And um, whenever you got out, I mean you we were talking about this beforehand with the COVID. Yeah, when you got out, they were you were in Orlando. Y'all were living in Orlando at the time, we, right?
1: That's right. We we started in Orlando, and uh, I. I got lucky and and finished a bachelor's degree while we were down there. This was after the military. Of course, it was all VA dollars that paid for that. Uh, And, you know, and then we we ended up migrating up to Michigan, where I told you I I was uh, working as a... I did all the technical stuff for the small school system that I... Uh, went to as a kid. Okay, pretty pretty exciting actually. Oh,
0: yeah, I guarantee you, you I, go back to your old stomping And house, I had yeah. already
1: related to you that my old football coach was now the superintendent of the whole school system up there, which is which is cool. Yeah, it is. It's cool. He hired me, and uh, and I did uh, computers, and I did all the work up there, and uh, and then we ended up. I will tell you, we were we were getting a little disillusioned with Michigan because Michigan is a pretty heavy uh, union state. And, uh, uh, you know, a pretty liberal, right? Yeah. Pretty liberal. I, and I'm sorry, I'm just not a liberal kind of person. No, I'm not. That's, that's part of the reason we ended up in Coleman air Alabama is because
0: that's I, what I was going to ask I, you to tell you how you ended yes,
1: up. Yes, sir. It's, it's uh, it's a, it's a journey to tell you the truth. Um, so we ended up, we wanted to get out of Michigan. We knew that. And, and then this op, the opportunity, when this ground robot program came up, I was working ground robots up there. Well, actually I, I I got hired on up there to do the ground robot program. They sent me down here to uh, Huntsville to do the training. The Arsenal. At the uh, Arsenal. Yeah. And you know, I drove on to the Arsenal. This was this was coupled with the fact that my daughter worked at the only grocery store in town, a little small farm town. And they told my daughter at the time in Clinton, Michigan, at this at the grocery store, she could not say Merry Christmas to people. This was this was like in two thousand and eight. Oh my God can't say merry christmas. All you never say is happy holidays. And I'm thinking, dude, this is this is like farm town USA. And you're going to tell someone they can not it, it really just it pissed me. you off. It, yeah, it did, I mean it. Did. Yeah. And I so when I came down here to Huntsville for the training, I drive up to the gate the first time I got my military ID and the guy said, "Have a blessed day." And I thought, "Wow.
0: We that, say that. We cool. say they that where I work. Yeah, a guy says that, that every up in again
1: anymore." And I just, yeah. you know, I I called my wife shortly after that. I said, Hey, we're moving to Huntsville. And
0: uh, <laughs> Huntsville's a nice town. I yeah. love Huntsville.
1: Well, yeah. I, I we ended up in Coleman because Huntsville is now becoming more city like
0: it's so big. It yeah, is it's it growing
1: is. so fast and it's it's to me it's just too liberal. I'm right. sorry. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, to me it's it's too liberal. We ended up, you know, we did a little bit of research and I and I also had previously told you that as i was retiring you know here we were debt free we, i mean we're where we strive to be right. and i'm thinking what am i leaving behind you know and 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 where am i leaving my family and huntsville really was becoming visibly liberal at uh-huh. the time they were going through some things up there and it's just stuff that i didn't want to deal with and i i didn't want to leave my family in that environment right so I uh, started looking around you know, and, and Coleman is uh, is uh, recognized as a, as a good conservative hardworking
0: it is American.
1: Coleman's growing a lot
0: too, but yeah yeah I'm, it is I love Coleman
1: and, and it's going to change, but Coleman is for now, Coleman is a good conservative area mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hardworking honest god-fearing folks down there. there really
0: is I mean like I could I could probably pull out myself on I'm not the popular, and I could probably call 50 people. And I would get forty-five of them to answer their phone, and forty of them say they're going to come help me. Yeah, you know if you I bet. if I had something, you know. You bet, and
1: that's that's what we have found too. We live uh, uh, in between Berlin and Holly Pond, and that whole community right there. They call each other if there's a oh, storm. Yeah. They call each other, and they don't just call and ask if you. I mean, they're going to come help. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and everybody out there though is so self-sufficient. That's what. That's another thing that we just love about that. Everybody out there, just man, they know how to take care of themselves. You, you know, these folks that you're living with now, if a, if anything happens to society that all of a sudden there is a shortage of food and whatever toilet paper,
0: we'll all these get, people you
1: know, know how to. They know how to deal with it. I mean, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, Coleman at one time, uh, it was like one of the top three places to live in Alabama, yeah. and I, I think it was actually. It might have been ranked nationwide. I'm not sure. I, I do remember, like, they were saying, like, Coleman's one of the safest. You yeah. Know, it's one of the um, – actually, the the article was – it's been three or four years ago that um, Coleman, Alabama was the best place to raise a child.
1: How about that? hmm Yeah, I, I believe
0: it, too. It's, we're just uh, all simple. I mean, around here, everything's simple. Everybody knows everything about you. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that. There's, I,
1: I learned, and you you used this term a little while ago when we were speaking before we started this podcast. You used the, the term come apart. Yeah. And uh, one of the ladies, that, as a matter of fact, our, our immediate neighbor, uh, she was telling me that. She said her dog was having a come apart. I said, well, what? <laughs> she said he's having a come apart. <laughs> we just love that stuff. I, I'm telling you, you know, I have it's a it's a lot of fun. Oh
0: yeah, I say I'll say stuff like ain't reckon and, and what did that aorta
1: mean? aorta go out there? Yeah, this <laughs> one fellow the other day he was telling me about mama and them. I said what? He yeah. said mama and them. I'm going to see mama and them. Yeah. I said mama and them. Yeah, mama and them. <laughs> we I we take that. like
0: three words we make right. one That's yeah because right. <laughs> i'll ask people i'll be like how's your mom and them i mean it just rolls right out you know and if you went to spell that i mean it would be like whoa wait a minute is that neem N E M? I i love it it is it's a small town i you mean Col- colman's grown obviously but i mean i just i don't know travel the railroad and stuff and seeing a bunch of different Cities yeah, and sure. been to Indiana, which Indiana is nice. I mean, most places I've been to is nice. And then I've been to places where it's terrible, you know, and you're like, golly, I'm so glad I cannot wait to see the Coleman X, you well, know, on my way what, home.
1: You know, it's uh, to me, it's, uh, you know, you, a lot of us today in our country, we pursue uh, an easy life. Mm-hmm. I, I for a lot of people, that's the American dream, you know, right. m- making however you do to make your money, but make sure that you get all your fun in there and your, your right. vacations yeah. and all that stuff. I've kind of come full circle, you know, being down here in uh, Coleman and running that little farm there. We've got, you know, several animals and just a small farm, 10 acres. But uh, it's, uh, it's a real treat to be kind of full circle I am enjoying doing the work right now. I'm enjoying doing physical work. You know, I, right. I work with, for your dad right now, and you know, I'm always out there picking up equipment or, or whatever we're doing. I mean, this is this is what we're here for. I think. Right. I mean, to yeah. work. You, you 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 spend your whole life thinking, "Gosh, I can't wait to retire. I can't wait to retire." I already tried that for a year. I It's retired. not cut out like the people say. it's just oh. not what it's, it's all made up to, to be. Piece. You know. Yeah. Uh, i much i much- enjoy, much more enjoy uh working uh, just being out and doing stuff and and actually doing work you know i think you i
0: think honestly you live longer i, think I think really I do, do. I do you know check. i know I know a guy's eighty years old that goes out every day he replaces windows doors, all yeah. that kind of stuff you know what i mean and, and i I really think if you're not doing something you're sitting at home and yeah. stuff i think well, it's good to get out too like especially around here. Almost every single job involves the community or being around different people. I mean, I, you know, I, my dad, he loves talk. I love
1: talk. You
0: know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean,
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> that's right. Started the podcast. You know, I'm that's like, right. man, I just want to meet all kinds of different people. You know, you and stuff. You can and do that's do that right. Why,
1: from right here in Kobe. right. Yeah, I mean, I can
0: and uh, Colman. I mean, coleman has got a lot of different people. You know, has done right. great things and stuff. Yeah, it is. It's cool. Whenever you was talking about the um COVID vaccine oh, stuff, yeah. um, have you ever saw that died suddenly on, on uh have you ever Googled that or anything? Yeah. Yeah, it's scary.
1: It is, you know, and, and my wife and I decided that we would not get the shot. Right. And ultimately that led to me retiring in December of twenty one, maybe. Yeah, because at that was at the time when all the government uh, entities up there, all the uh, contractor entities up in Huntsville was demanding that you get the shot if you wanted to continue to work, you know. The government was making that demand of them, to right. be fair. But, uh, you know, I just I didn't feel like I wanted to be forced into getting the shot, because that, yeah. as far as we knew then and as far as we know today, it was experimental. They did not know everything they needed well, to know about that thing. And, uh, you know, we've had some friends that have lost uh, young family members. Uh, Will we ever know, was it because of the COVID shot or because of COVID COVID itself? We'll never know. But I am one person. I'm happy that I did not get the COVID shot. We went through COVID, too. My wife and I both had the the good, strong stuff. I mean, it it put us down for a month. Really? We really could not do anything. Some of those first first few
0: strands were...
1: Bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we had it in October of 21, I guess it was.
0: That's yeah. when it, That was when it, it first got on. Yeah.
1: It was a good one. We had just gone to a funeral up in Ohio. We are on our way back, and both of us knew we were sick. but we, a matter of fact, we stopped in Gunnersville and got the COVID test, and, and both of us tested positive I'll at that time. And we just, boy, we spiraled down for about two weeks, and then we started a, a slow climb back out of that. It was rough. Uh, but more, more than I was... Worried about my my breath uh, getting short and all the stuff that goes along with the COVID. I was more worried with getting put in the hospital and getting put on one of those ventilators. Oh, I know. Yeah. You know, it, that, uh, that COVID thing, it was real. Uh, we certainly had it. But I'm still glad that I did not get the shot.
0: See, I ended up getting, I got the uh, Pfizer. And then they started coming out. Then I ended up Googling the yeah. dots. Yeah, um, You know, on that, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, it is and it's not, but it obviously something was causing right, deaths right. and stuff like that all right. of a sudden. Yeah. Um, all you these know, they hard had problems. Right. Yeah. And they had the um, autopsy. They had like the autopsy people on there. They had um, the embalmers. You know, they had a bunch of scientists and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, um, it was actually, you know, when when you die, you know, they cut your juggler, they, you know, pull it out with that pump. And um, I had. Watch some stuff where there was more service calls on pumps when How about that? COVID came out, right? So once everybody started getting vaccinated, there was more the the person, the tech or whatever that shows up to work on this machine. He's yeah. like, "Well, there's nothing wrong with, pump. Mm. yeah, you know." And a lot of times they might even have to like push air through, mm. and you know, it's almost like a rubber band would come out. You know, it's coming out of the. Spain. You know, and the, and the guys well, doing it basically it looks almost like a spaghetti noodle. Wow. You know, with a little bit of twist to it, almost like a phone cord, but imagine it being like a spaghetti.
1: I wouldn't discount anything today that, that you know, I, I don't think, I, I think it'll be years before we ever know the truth, if we ever know the truth. About there could be long-term
0: effects. And on the
1: vaccine, well, there still is, you know, there's still just a lot of folks that have unexplained heart arrhythmias, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. That's just rampant. Uh, but is it because of the vaccine or is it because of the COVID, COVID you itself? just don't know. No, we don't. They, I don't believe they told us the truth uh, at all about I don't either. Cold. I really don't. I really don't. I and don't. I don't mind saying it right here on this podcast. I don't think they've told us the truth. I don't think they acted in our best interest.
0: I don't either. No, I don't either. Even like the, you know, at first it was like, don't touch me. You know, I mean, basically my hands were just white. Yeah. I could make a fist and my knuckles would crack from using, yeah. you know, um, the sanitary stuff,
1: you know, washing my yeah. hands so much and stuff. Finally, I'm just like,
0: my gosh, I, mean, I can't take any more. Well, you I'm, know?
1: I'm glad that it, it finally ended. And, you know, I was one of those people that uh, I, I had a couple of altercation discussions about wearing a mask and stuff, you know, and it, it was just ludicrous sometimes, yeah, you know, the situation yeah, that you would find yourself in and somebody saying, oh my God, you don't have a mask on. Well, you do. You're okay. Yeah, you that's right. Wear your mask. <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. You know, and it's just, uh, it, it really was, I mean, we learned from that. We should have learned as Americans. We should have learned just how much influence our media has on us right now that's right yeah i mean it was total chaos and everything that they said everybody would just kind of like run over here and do that run over here and do that run over here and do that just because they said that on the news or, right yeah or dr fossey or whatever his name is would say this or that you know people would run over there and do this and, and then you after you do that two or three or four times and you think that don't make any sense no it don't but they keep they keep shoving stuff at you so yeah. you just keep reacting they're still they're still
0: advertising they're all the time on the
1: they're trying where
0: the Pfizer's got this now you know that's right. out or whatever, and I hope it ends. I hoping that downhills.
1: I hope that what we got from I hope that we've learned a lesson. I don't know that we have to tell you the truth uh now we're going down these roads with a transgender thing, and you know everything just gets blown up into it does it, you know and it's <laughs> it's stuff that. Gosh, I don't care what you believe in, and and, and I literally don't. I don't care what the next guy believes in. Believe in it. That's cool. Don't push it. Don't push it on me. That's right. You know, don't push it on my family. And for for God's sake, don't be teaching that kind of stuff in schools. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's what schools are supposed to be for.
0: That's right. Nowadays, you can't even a kid can't say two plus two is four. It's got to be this big old long drawn out thing. Where it's like right. yeah, as long as you get kidding. the yeah, as long as you get the damn answer, that shouldn't matter. Yeah, you know what I mean. But they want you to show your work, and even if you just say two plus two is four, well, you've got two and two, two and two is four. you got two and two, two and two is four? You can't do that. Yeah, you know I mean this homework stuff.
1: That's right, and they tell them they tell them that you can't use those old methods, old right. methods. You can't use. They you work know, for basic years. Math. That's
0: right. <laughs> I mean, uh, they've been working for a long time.
1: You know, it's just there's some things, that, and, and I think we're, we're allowed to have those opinions, you know. I do too.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, I'm first-
1: Certainly, somebody might complain about this, you know, saying those things on this podcast, but it's okay.
0: Yeah, I don't care.
1: No, <laughs> I don't either.
0: No, not at all. All right. So I got to hear you sing.
1: I sing at church. <laughs> I sing at church. And that's the only place I have sang in public. So, and and whenever I sing at church, I, I go to the Oak Level Baptist Church uh, out there close to me. Uh, Pat, uh, Pastor Etzel Riddle, I sing when he it's me and him and uh, Kenny Bailey. We'll get up there and sing as a trio. And uh, believe me, I get I get a little I get meek when we're singing. You know, I let them two carry all the they they carry the tune. Uh, it's all about making a joyful noise, so yeah, you know that's that's what I'm concerned with. That's what the good Lord says, right? It doesn't <laughs> matter
0: right. what it sounds like that's as long as right. you're singing for me, yeah. That's right. I'm I'm bad about it, man. I and where we go to church, yeah, we still sing out of the old hymn. Yeah. We'll go to we'll go to another church sometimes. They're more upbeat, yeah. and, you know, and stuff. And. um but over here in the old hymn, I mean, you seen how great they are. That's right. or, you know, wasn't long ago they sang "Jesus Loves Me," and yeah, you know, I that told kind of you. I, you know,
1: when I was a little kid, I would go to church with my paternal grandparents, and uh, they sang at church as a as a couple. Yeah. And sometimes they would have uh, they would have this fellow named Buck Smith would sing with them. They'd be a trio, and. You could just see my grandfather get irritated with this, butt because he was such an enthusiastic singer, I mean, he's all over the place and he's up and he's down and he's got his hands on their shoulders and he's—he's he's really comical a <laughs> lot. Yeah, yeah, he is. He was, and my my grandfather's just a stoic guy that would stand there and sing, you know. And, and my grandmother, she had her her uh, uh, her own little voice. I can't remember what they called her um, particular range. Just a good old country voice, oh, yeah. right? And uh so it was it was always fun to watch them as a kid and they're they're still my greatest influence. All I really care to sing is gospel music. Really? Yeah, that's it. I mean I, I sing some but uh, all I care about is gospel.
0: Sometimes I'll get sometimes I'll be down in the bathroom, it's you know, got the right acoustics. There you go. And I just go with <laughs> a how great thou art you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's one of my favorite ones over there is the how great they are. And uh I always like it too. You got the older people and especially from where we're from, you know, it's not washed in the blood of the lamb. Washed oh, my goodness. In my the family, blood of the lamb. My
1: family picks at me about saying washed. I, I, am I saying it wrong? Washed. They, I, I guess it sounds funny to them. They're always picking at me about saying washed or washed. I washed it.
0: Yeah, we was like, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? You know? Yeah, this is beautiful, man.
1: Yeah.
0: It really is. Um. I'll make sure I covered it. Look on here. Talk
1: about Okinawa a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. Uh,
0: okay, Okinawa. Okinawa.
1: You know, during Japan. The, during World War II, um, Okinawa was uh, one of the battles that the Marines are known for. Iwo Jima was probably the biggest battle that we we're known for, but Guadalcanal and Okinawa. Uh, you know, there were several battles where Marines made names for themselves. Mm-hmm. Okinawa if if you care to look it up any time in the future, I mean there's like nothing left of that island. Same way with Iwo Jima, nothing left. They bombarded those places from from the ships with the big guns for days before they ever How had big it.
0: a how big a like island is that?
1: Okinawa, miles, if I remember or... right, it's like seventy miles long. Oh, okay. it's pretty so it, good size. Yeah, island. it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. good size island. The north end of the island is all jungle and elevated uh environment the south end is more flat and uh uh, more modernized or uh, okay yeah metro areas down there and uh uh you know we spent we spent like six years total between korea me deploying to korea from okinawa japan uh we spent about six years over there and we really loved it the family i got to take the family with me i didn't the, the marine corps didn't pay me to take them i just took them on my own you know, right. and and my wife would live out in the village with the with the Japanese people or the Okinawan folks, and we just loved it. We really what, what?
0: Where would you like live? I mean, like, what? What did your shelter look? Well,
1: like? Well, you know, I tell you, this is interesting, and, and it, it just uh, I love hearing it. I tell you, because I've also lived in Florida. I spent you know several years growing up in Florida. Well, hurricanes down there caused tremendous damage, mm-hmm. as we all know, right? I mean, things just get leveled Oh, now.
0: man, yeah, yeah. The, the, between the wind. But here, and...
1: so you go over to Japan, and all the houses over there on Okinawa, anyway, at the time, there probably were some lesser buildings, but most everything was poured cement. The walls were poured, the ceilings poured, everything. It's just a cement box. Really? Nothing happened. Windows? Oh, yeah, windows. windows. But all the windows have bars on them to stop things from flying through them and stuff. And nothing happens on that island. I'm telling you, we there was one uh, hurricane, typhoons as they're called over there. Uh, Same thing, spins different direction. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that uh, typhoon had come onto the island. You know, so it's approaching just like down in Florida. I mean, you get two or three, well, at least one whole day of strong winds. And I now mean, do y'all have
0: news reporting? Like, is oh yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, so you get like a whole day of this strong wind that builds and builds and builds. And, and we are in like 140 mile an hour wind over there. And, and what happened was it moved onto the island. The eye came over the island. Then it backed off. And then it went again. So, I mean, we had like three. It whole really days, dumps a days. lot on there oh, yeah, once it, it goes back days out. It was extreme weather. Nothing happened. We never even lost TV over there. Really, they do everything out of cement, and you you so you wonder, well, why can't we do that here in this country? Well, I I don't know why we can't do it in this country.
0: At least make shelter. You know,
1: it's right it's uh it's not as pretty. Um, it's not as refined as what we do down there uh-huh. in Florida. But everybody gets wiped out every year down there.
0: Oh man, nothing yeah.
1: happens over in Okinawa, Japan. I mean, there is some damage, I guess, but you don't. It's it's so minor that. Just, Is a lot of those structures, you
0: think, for
1: tsunamis too? Yeah, they, uh, you know, I we did not experience anything like that, a tsunami over there. We lived 100 yards from the seawall as it was over there. They, they The beaches are more like seawalls over there. Okay. Uh, we lived 100 yards from the seawall, and it was, we were close enough that when the storms were super bad on that side of the island, we would get spray from the ocean on our house. Really? Yeah. Yeah so uh, but still again there's just nothing happens I mean now if, there, if a tsunami would have come we'd have, might have been in a little trouble right yeah. there was a hill up there uh, on, on one of the marine bases just above our house there was a hill so that's where everybody would have been running if of, it's
0: something like yeah. that would have came up I never knew like the power of like a tsunami until we watched that movie. Oh, yeah. I know that sounds funny, but I mean no, you don't really true. think about right. like if you're getting washed and say it yeah. pushing you through woods and all that, you getting hit with the sticks and You bet. Yeah, I mean I got
1: I was involved in the uh floods in ninety two, I think it was ninety two, over in Albany, Georgia. Uh we were stationed over there at the time at the at the Marine Corps logistics base and I had a brother living out in town. Um and uh, it was kind of interesting because the, they already knew, and this the weather that we were dealing with had gone way north of this area, but it was all coming down that Tennessee River uh, uh, Locking and Dam oh, yeah, yeah. Thing, right? So they knew days in advance that it was going to flood. They're telling you, folks, we got to let this water out because we got to let the it's got to go down to the Gulf. People just didn't listen. They didn't listen. You know, and, and even in, in one case, I had this, this one fella told me it, it's, it, the, the flood stage was going to be 17 feet, right? He had marked up in his yard 17 feet. And I said, no, no, it's not coming up in your yard 17 feet. It's going 17 feet in the oh, air. That's yeah. how high this flood's going to be, 17 feet. It's going to be over your house. Oh, no, no. People didn't believe it. Well, sure enough, the next morning, uh, several people had rented U-Haul trucks and all that neat stuff. They had rented trucks, they had packed those trucks, and then they just sat there because they didn't believe it. The next morning the trucks were underwater. Their their houses were underwater. Yeah. So it was it was really uh eye opener to go through something like that too. And uh, uh the one thing I always remember about that air, that flood, you know, we got out and we did some rescues and and uh the marines from the base there we And we worked with the community. Most people on
0: their roofs and stuff, I guess, at that point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we got out and done that. And we also, for the next uh, several months, if I remember correctly, we would go out and help folks. Like, you got to strip everything out of your house after a flood. You can't even keep a porcelain sink. Really? Yeah. Everything is because of all the dead and decay in the water, Mm -hmm. nothing is salvageable. So everything's got to come out of those houses. Never thought about that. I mean,
0: I knew you would have like material damage, sheetrock, that kind of stuff.
1: Well, I you, never you, thought about I can't even begin to describe to you what it looks like to go into a house that's been through a flood because of the, because of the food and the, and the mold in the middle. I mean, mold, this... Oh, wow. Uh, but anyway, so you, you go through all that stuff. And the one thing I remember about that flood that I will never forget is ants, red ants, fire ants.
0: You,
1: a... Why would you think about... I mean, what, what about ants? Well... When the flood occurs, you know, and eventually they let loose and they come out of their holes. Their mm-hmm.
0: They'll be their like rapid. balls of them. I've seen yeah. where like a they're, mud puddle come over an Ant-Bed. They're,
1: they're, they're just floating on top of the water, and you better not be the first thing they climb because you're going to be in serious trouble. I mean, millions of
0: them. You
1: know, I'll never forget that. And, you know, during those flood, dead dead uh, bodies were coming out of the ground and all kinds of stuff because the flood lasted for, gosh, it was over a week that the the, the we were underwater
0: there. I've heard of uh people down lose like burying their dog and then just yeah. because of the the ground's got so much moisture and stuff in it and so wet yeah. that the dog would actually be on top of the ground a couple of days later. You know, I've heard that before. And um working down I worked down around like Ocean Springs and Gulfport and mm-hmm. all the way into New Orleans, talking about like the hurricane stuff with the you know the rise yeah. of the water. You know, they actually have a lot of the um overpasses and stuff on the actual pillars, I guess. Yeah, that you know they have got the red line painted to where the well, water was. level was.
1: Isn't that amazing? Wow! I it's, mean, it's like you can't hardly believe it, huh? No, uh. Uh-uh. And and one of the another thing that stuck in our minds uh, from that Albany uh, event, and it's kind of funny. We ended up talking, you know, we're talking about typhoons and hurricanes. We ended up with this thing, but uh, one of the other things that you, you just don't forget was the height of the water on the trees. Wherever the water was up on the trees, it was yeah. it stayed brown for like two or three years afterwards, four years. Really? I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was like a dead tree from here, but but everything above was still green.
0: Just from the water being so Just contaminated. Just the water and stuff. being
1: so nasty and contaminated.
0: Well, you gotta think too. I guess like the gas stations and that kind of stuff. I mean, if the water comes up over them, then the fuel's gotta go. Also, yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, that's that's interesting.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's uh you know it's, it's just events that we participated in or were caught up in because of all the travels. It's uh, you know, it's a good life. I mean, twenty years in the Marine Corps, you know, traveled around, uh, got to see a lot of places. Pretty interesting life.
0: What's some of the um, most unique kind of food and stuff you had? like? Like oh, whenever you're in Japan, I mean, like what? Or even how do you communicate with, like...
1: Like children. Really? Ser- yeah, seriously, like children. You know, you, you you want to communicate with the Japanese. And like I said, we lived out in town. We didn't live on base, you know. We, right. lived, we weren't surrounded by Americans. So we lived out in town, and we needed to communicate with our neighbors and stuff. We found them to be super, super friendly and super gracious, folks. And, uh, we, you know, we would communicate with just one or two or three words or a lot of hand gestures and stuff like that so you know we we managed to get through that and we still have today my wife went back with me to okinawa about i think it was about four years ago we went and we actually went out in town and we found these jap uh, the japanese or the okinawan folks that we had befriended before you know and we just had a good time we were still here we are, 35 years later, and we're still talking with our hands and, and using <laughs> one-letter, you know, conversations, or one-word conversations.
0: That's it, neat, though. I mean, you—you you, you really, is. but you were very good neighbor, and they were very good neighbors, yeah. even though you might not have understood each other That's completely. Right. Yeah. I mean, you were—they
1: always were. included us, you know, like whenever they did their little uh, uh, Okinawan-type ceremonies around the neighborhood, and they do that kind of stuff over yeah. there. They're very family-oriented and uh everything involves the community it's not just it's not just a you know just a, a core family thing it's Right, like friends and family yeah. I
0: mean they, basically it, they're and everybody they would they
1: always came they they would come down and include us they'd take our daughter and they'd take her around you know and, and it, i think it is new years thing they would give her japanese coins money or something I don't really know. yeah they would include us in everything in that neighborhood it was just great
0: but, that goes a, that goes a long way so i mean yeah sure especially um you know, which we got a lot of like Spanish people here, yeah, at work, you know, and whatnot. And yeah. you bet and I've actually become friends with a lot of those guys that's on like, Rick and Cruz and stuff, you know. And and um, some of them I'm not really sure. We there's one guy, he just smiles all of Yeah. you know, he's just so happy, you know, it's like, yeah, but he knows, like, he knows, hey, my friend, you know what I mean, right. even though we can't. Communicate together,
1: you know. It's like I've had that same experience with. Uh, I I just worked not too long ago with with uh, some Guatemalans, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you, they're hard workers. Oh yeah, they all are. All they care about is working, and always have a smile on their face. It's like kicking an ant pile. I'm telling you, when it <laughs> yeah. when it's time to go to work, they're working. Oh
0: yeah, these these Mexicans and stuff that do this block and brick and all that. Yeah, they work from daylight to dark. You bet. I mean, and you can pull up to a job site or something, or even when they was doing our house, you can pull up. They're all it's like two or three guys is doing this, two or three guys yeah. doing this, two or three guys, and then their boss, he's on his hands and knees working the same way. You know, they got their music playing. They're just having, they're gr- they're they're so glad yeah. to be here. You
1: ain't kidding. I, I couldn't imagine. I have any. a great amount of respect for them. I do, too. Hard-working I really do. Men. Hard-working men, and they care about their families. And they do. And that's all they care about.
0: And you don't see, you know, like with them, too. How many times you ever went, like, into a gas station, you saw them in there? You yeah. know what I mean? They're very conservative with, like, right. their money and stuff. Yeah, I do. I appreciate them and their work, honestly. And they do a really good job. I, I think, mean, on a lot of this stuff. I think
1: they live like we used to, to tell you the truth. Yeah, uh, I mean, we used to be... Uh, I, well, that makes I, the difference. I think we were just a family-oriented uh, uh, society, but it's been several years.
0: Right. They'll even... Uh, I would come. We were building this house. One of them would bring, like, tortilla. One yeah. of them brought steak. One of them <laughs> yep. brought vegetables. Yep. You know, and they were underneath the shade tree. Yep. You know, they were all out there, and I. as soon as I walked up, I know their boss real, you know, pretty yeah. good, and he speaks good English and uh thank the world to him and um first thing they did on you know it's like,
1: and, and what's not to like
0: about that? oh man and his smell coming off of that yeah you know they had just like a small little I guess it was kind of, it was a gas grill but i mean they were cooking those making burritos and stuff but i was like oh my. i remember getting out of my truck that's the first thing i smelled i'm like I gotta go and check out what they're doing, you know. My
1: wife is from Yuma, Arizona. When from the okay. years that I So spent, did you I meet been, her there when you was I out? did. Okay. I, I met my wife out there and uh she is an awesome uh Mexican food cook. Really? She oh yeah, she tears it up. She makes us green chili burritos and, and tacos <laughs> and stuff. She's she's a good cook.
0: That's what uh, my it. daughter, that's you even mentioned going out and eating. I'm <laughs> going to Mexican. I want cheese dip and tortillas and yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is. Well, man, I have enjoyed it, brother. I'm, yeah. Let's make sure we went over everything, though. Gosh, this oh, has been a good. You know what this we didn't been... talk
1: about? Let me talk about this. Let's, for go, just for a second. let's, let's go for it. Let's talk about bicycle racing. Yes, yes, yes. I yes, still race it. bicycles. I'm 65, and uh, I'm 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 blessed in a way because I've got a I've got a Marine Corps brother, and, and believe me, we're brothers just as much yeah. as any blood brother. Uh, Tim Like is his name. He's my age, and. Uh, uh, several years ago, I asked him if he wanted to run a marathon. I had gotten myself re- really out of shape after the Marine Corps. And uh, I was struggling to get, you know, tr- struggling to figure out how to get back out of that condition. Uh. And uh, I, I decided I was going to run a marathon. And I asked him if he wanted to run one. And he had already done at least one. I would never done one. And we ended up, so we get started. And I think I have finished around 50 marathons now something like that tim had he went on to finish the whole uh 50 state thing you can run Around. one in every state and i don't know many he's run marathons. he's probably finished over 100 hour close to it if, if not uh but anyway uh from the marathons i said well what do you do after marathons and i thought well how about an ironman triathlon so I tried an Ironman triathlon, and I managed—I uh, managed to finish it. You get 17 hours to finish. When I finished mine in 14 hours,
0: really—that's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I finished my first uh, Ironman, and I thought, well, I wonder if that was just a fluke. I mean, you know, I was, I was in my <laughs> 50s at the time, and uh, those
0: are tough, by the way.
1: They are tough. Yeah, That's we a, need to tell I'm like what tell you, you have
0: to do too. I'm going tell get...
1: you. So you swim 2.4, and then you bike 112, and then you run a marathon, 26 miles. Got to be done within seventeen, 17 hours, hours, right? So there's no goofing around. It's, I mean, you're almost yeah, constantly you go, moving. Yeah, but you'd be surprised if you just continue to make if you make forward progress all time. You don't. I mean, other than getting changed out of your swimming and stuff. But if you just keep going, don't stop. Keep, keep going. a pace. You'll yeah. you'll make it. Um, but anyway, so I, I I finished that Ironman marathon, and uh, I thought, well, maybe that was a fluke. So I did another one. And I, I finished it. It took me like 15 hours and I didn't train for it at all. Really? I, I really didn't. I, it was kind of silly because, you know, once you do something like that, you, you get this mental boost because I've done it. You know, I've done a marathon, yeah. so I know I can go do a marathon. So you do another marathon and then pretty soon you do the triathlon thing, right? You, so you do an Ironman. And, uh, and then I, when I finished that second Ironman, I thought, well, that's enough of that. What do I do now? What do you do after you do a 17 hour or 14 hour event? And somewhere along the way, someone had introduced me to endurance <coughs> bicycle racing. And, uh, and I checked out this race down in Florida at Sebring and it's, you go as far as you can go in 24 hours. So this was cool to me because I don't, I don't want to get into a pack. Like you, if you see a bicycle race, like even the, uh,
0: about reckoning,
1: yeah. I mean, you don't want to get <laughs> yeah, in the, you don't want to get in the pack and be you know jostling with each other and all that stuff like on the Tour de Tour de France. I don't want that. Didn't interest me. But you wanted told, to finish, yeah. Some someone man. told me about this twenty four hour event, and I thought, well, shoot, that sounds cool. So I, I jumped on my well, jumped in my truck, took my bicycle down to Sebring, and my brother was my crew. We didn't know what the heck we were doing, but <laughs> so we show up there, and uh, I'm on an upright bike, a regular upright bicycle like you would ride. And we get down there, and I, I think I went 236 miles. I was in pain; I couldn't hardly That's a walk. long ways. Two, I mean, yeah, yeah, but, but the, the funny thing is, you know, I went 236 miles on my first attempt, and I I was off the bike eating food. And
0: so you are able to take breaks, and you don't have to consider.
1: No, you like don't you. have to do anything. Okay. It's just totally you against the clock. And so I'm off the bike, eating food, and taking a rest, and going to the bathroom, and all kinds of stuff. You know, all these other people are serious about this. They don't get <laughs> off the bike. They, you know, they want the serious people about these 24-hour races go four and five hundred miles at the, in that time. Oh God! So, so anyway, uh, that's what we ended up doing. That, and then eventually, because I saw all these people, I'm I'm in pain from riding this 236 miles. And I see all these people over here, they're just having a good time, they're laughing and joking and stuff. Well, I find out they're all riding recumbent bikes, the kind of bike you lay down backwards on, if you've ever seen them. You lay down backwards, and I and I'm actually at like a fifteen to twenty percent uh, incline. Incliner. Yeah. So you're laying down, your feet are out in front of you. You're
0: so you're laying basically down, you, you
1: got a headrest. I mean
0: So you're basically on a recliner. You are maybe... <laughs>
1: you are, you're on a recliner pedaling. So now we uh now we do endurance racing. Uh, uh Tim actually uh raced on my bicycle this last October. We do the Natchez four forty four every year. You start in Natchez or start in Nashville, Mississ- or Nashville, Tennessee, and race to or ride to uh Natchez, Mississippi. It's four hundred and forty-four miles, non-stop. You know, it's up to you. You want to? start Are you, you on highway or is there actually like no, a trail? No, actually or on the Natchez Trace. It's, oh, okay, it's, it's a trail. A, uh, state park. So, so it's,
0: you're you're kind of euro riding then? Is that what they call it yeah, when you're, you're in the woods, yeah, but you're on a trail? I guess.
1: No, it's on a, it's on the road. I mean, the oh, really? Natchez okay. Trace is actually a, you know a, a, a state parkway. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, it just happens to be a fairly safe ride because the speed limit's only 50, no commercial vehicles, and it's a straight run. There's no stop signs, no nothing on that. You just get on it.
0: Basically, interstate. And yeah. yeah. So,
1: so that's what we do now. I mean, that's what I decided was next on the agenda after the Ironman thing. We we now race bicycles. And it's just a bunch of, you know, in our case, it's two old guys that get out there. Sometimes we're a team. Sometimes we're solo. My brother and my son-in-law are always our crew. Uh, when well, you're go. talking about
0: crew, what is that? Do they, well, they follow you in like a vehicle yeah, or yeah, something?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's a very interesting because most of these races at night, you race right through the night, right? Mm-hmm. So you, in order to protect your rider, the crew will be in a, in a vehicle, in my Marine Corps truck outside. They stay right on you. I mean, they're following about 15 to 20 feet behind you at night. Oh, they're, wow. they're providing light for you you got lights but you still i mean when you start going 40 miles an hour down a hill and you don't know what the curves and stuff are looking like so you, you, you you're using lights. their headlights yeah. yeah you're using their headlights and they're they're 15 or 20 feet off you and you're going 30 40 miles an hour it's its pretty exciting yeah, you know and that's all the excitement we need as old men you know <laughs> so uh yeah hey, you I'm, wreck
0: at 30 mile an hour now <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been down
1: at i've been down at 30 uh 30 35 miles an hour and luckily on the recumbent bikes all you do is kind of like slide so you can imagine what the strawberry might look like
0: (laughs) that's one of those ones where you you get up you got like black all over you you know that skin's gone at least
1: you don't have the broken collarbone usually if they you know if they wreck an upright bicycle it's almost always a broken collarbone Uh, or so you have one of the ones you lay back in now
0: absolutely really yeah how do you i mean are you staring at like a Zero turn mower. Or? My,
1: uh, my steering on this bike right now is is called tiller steering. So my handlebars are only like this big. I, they're then and, and when I'm laying down, they're right here in front of me, like this, okay. and they go straight out in between my legs and and you steer like left and right, like uh, a tiller on a boat. Oh,
0: okay. Um,
1: you know, and really, it's, it's it's a lot of leaning. Rather, mm-hmm. it's more like riding motorcycle. Going
0: around curves yeah. and stuff, you got to kind of. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: I got to look that up. Oh, yeah. dude, look it up. It's it's pretty exciting stuff, you know. And there's and there's always ways of tracking us when we're out racing. I'm racing this October. I'm doing the Natchez. Um, I think it's the first weekend of October that we do that. Very okay, cool. And there'll be ways to uh, track all the riders as they ride down to uh, Natchez and pretty exciting stuff. Oh, I guarantee you, man. Getting it, probably a pretty country too, ain't it? Beautiful country, uh, you know, but. I tell you, when you when you're like 30 mi- or 30 hours into this race, you've been riding and you know you, <laughs> you're, you're, you're dehydrated. You're you're dehydrated and you're seeing things that aren't there. You're hallucinating <laughs> and stuff. It's really it gets kind of comical. You really don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're just so tired, and your crew they don't get to sleep either. You know, like if you only got two people, it's really not it's it's, it's feasible, but it's not safe for one guy to be sleeping. Because you need to have both eyes on that rider because they're so close to you. Wow! So it's uh it's really a, it, it's an endurance test for everybody that's involved in this.
0: So when do you do you like? So you stop, you take a break, you'll get your water, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Eat, eat a little now, bit. Now sometimes
1: and, if you're doing yeah. it like if you're doing it seriously, which I have a hard time getting serious about, this, right. I just yeah. like to finish. Yeah, oh yeah. It takes me like thirty six hours to finish that ride. Uh, but the the serious people. Their crew will drive up ahead of them and hold out a bottle of water. They won't oh, stop. Wow. In other words, you know, and like or, or a sandwich or or a boiled egg or whatever, you know. You just pass it off and they keep going. They try not to get off the bike to even go to the bathroom. So, you know, I mean, the serious people, they get on the bike and they go. I I just can't get. You kind of got your no, you I, got
0: your own. It's your own personal I, thing. Like it's I like my face is not their
1: face. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother's always. My brother's always on me, you know, get on a bike, you got to go, get on a bike, you got to (laughs) go. Five more minutes.
0: I bet that is pretty though, man. 444
1: Uh, miles. 444 miles. We do, we try to do that one every year. I think I've been involved in that one every year that it's, since it started. In one way or another, I rather, now I have, I think I have two DNFs, which is did not finish. I think I have two DNFs on that course, but uh, generally I finish anything that I start.
0: So you um, along with the bicycle and stuff, we're talking about the Iron Man. I guess it's kind of Ironclad, ain't that right? Iron, no, Iron Man. Iron Man. Which one's first? Swimming wears me out. What do the, you do? The swimming first, oh, or is yeah, it the you bicycle do the swimming
1: first? That I, would wear you. That wears you out. I would admit, and I have no problem admitting this. <clears throat> I chose. Uh, there was a, a Iron Man event called Beach to Battleship. It was in uh, North Carolina, Wilmington Beach. Beach to Battleship. And the swim is from the ocean into an inlet type thing, right? Do you have a life jacket? No. No. No life jacket. You can uh. wear a wetsuit, which kind of gives you some buoyancy, but not much. But anyway, uh I chose that particular race because you got to swim with the current. I'm not a fool. I'm in my 50s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my 50s. I just want to finish one of these things, so... Yeah, I chose beach to battleship just because you got to swim with the current. But uh, you know, it's still two point four miles. That's a long ways. It's a long yeah. ways to swim, and you're, you know, when you're in a wetsuit, it's it just adds to the aggravation of trying to swim because that wetsuit's tight.
0: Do you have to wear the wetsuit, or is it just you don't have to? You don't have to.
1: Yeah, I I I I chose to both times. I did, it. as a matter of fact, I chose to both times because I'm just not. Uh, that confident of a swimmer. Right. Obviously, I can swim those distances, uh, but the the uh, the wetsuit gives you a little confidence, but at the same time, it's aggravating because it's tight and it's it's restrictive. See,
0: know? that's what you were. Um, you're certified scuba diving, I right? am. That's
1: right. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I got certified, but I'm too claustrophobic. I don't. I don't want, Are you? Yeah, I get. If I was going to go out there and go twelve, fifteen feet, something like that, just yeah. kind of look at the fish or whatnot, right. but. Well, we went down to like 60, and you have to have that one yep. deep right. water dive or yep. whatever. Yep. And um, I got down there, and the whole time I was just thinking, what if something fails? What if this? What if that? You yep. know, do I really know what to do? And then the whole time I'm thinking, keep breathing, keep breathing. Because, you, mm-hmm. I mean? you know, that's the number one rule, keep yep. breathing.
1: We, uh, My <laughs> wife and I both were certified over in Okinawa, and and unfortunately, we did we dove together a few times, uh, but I was always wanting to go in caves, and I was always—I always had a spear gun with me or a, a, a sling. <laughs> perfect you know, my wife didn't yeah. want nothing to do with that, so Heck no.
0: I would I, be waiting outside the entrance. Yeah. But.
1: <laughs> well, that's where she usually was, you know. So it wasn't—we weren't doing it the, in the safest manner that you could. But uh, we both—we both did a, quite a bit of scuba diving over there. It was fun, and you know, the visibility in Okinawa or in that whole area over there in uh, uh, Korea, any place that you can dive over there. The visibility is just awesome. You can see a long
0: ways. And, you can go
1: down to a hundred feet and lay on the bottom and still see clouds up there. Really? It is just beautiful. Yeah, yeah I bet really that is. It is
0: um where we got done, we were actually we went down to uh Ponce de Leon and mm-hmm. close to Panama yeah. City or yeah. well it's down that way anywhere. I can we ended up in Panama City. But that was back partying day. So we yeah. got our you know but yeah. uh then we ended out uh the instructor got sick so we ended up going to Panama City, but later on, we went down to Pelham at Blue Water. Mm. You've been in there before? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, you can actually,
1: it's yeah, an old, it's a mine. Yeah. That'd be great, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's pretty good. Um, a lot of people had like the cheese whiz. They'd spread the cheese whiz out and let the fish ah, come up in right? and stuff. Yeah, They're yeah. Right. if you carry a can of just the squeezed I mean, cheese, yeah, the fish will come all the way around. Wow. Yeah. I know, um. Our instructor was actually talking about how funny it was. Like, if you're scuba diving with somebody that hadn't been over there or whatever, he would take the cheese whiz and like spray it on their back and yeah. stuff. And the, the people are swimming around, be like, "What's all these fish doing? Like, trying to get me, you know?" But they actually yeah. have the cheese on their back. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But I was, I. Was, I, I I've always been very claustrophobic, like going into a cave or some, even a cave on land. I don't, I don't do them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'll walk through while it's still big or whatever. Once, yeah. once things start getting tight, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> done. I'm done completely. I, I, I can't do
1: it, man. I think I probably would be that way today. I, you know, and I did do uh one of my trips back to Okinawa about three or four years ago. I did do a scuba dive. I, I did, did one dive. Yeah. It was kind of funny because I went to the dive shop, hadn't, hadn't touched any of that stuff in 30 or 40 uh, it's years. It's
0: been a long time for me, too. Yeah.
1: So I, I get to the dive shop, and this young lady's working there, and I said, uh, I, I need to get some equipment. She said, you got your card. I got my card. I, I, I luckily had renewed the card or something, but I, I actually had my, my uh, dive the, card. Yeah,
0: or whatever, yeah. Yeah.
1: So I get to the shop, and she says, you got your card. I got my card. She gives me all this equipment, and I recognize it, of course. But I'll be doggone if I can remember how to put that <laughs> put that regulator on that tank, right? Oh yeah. I'm not going to tell her. Mm-mm. No, I'm not going to tell her. But you know, stand I started, on the bank and make sure yeah, everything's I, kind of working. Some. <laughs> I took it out to my to the rental car, you know, and I was kind of goofing around with it, and I really just couldn't get it together. And I I finally went back in and I said, "Hey, I I said it's been like 30 years." Don't know how to do this stuff anymore, so show me how. She said, well, maybe you need a refresher. I said, I ain't got time for a refresher. Just just show me how. I'm only going to go down like 20 feet. I don't, you know, just want to
0: do it. That's what I would like to do.
1: Yeah. And actually, it it was kind of interesting because in the place that we lived in Okinawa, I still had to travel about a half hour away to get the super clear water. Now, that whole area up there is just pristine water, all the coral is back. It's been, you know, like I said, 30 or 40 years. The coral's back, the fish are back, it's pristine, it's beautiful, and the water is clear as can be.
0: I would like to go look at some of that. Oh, oh, man. And stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Seeing all that. Like you like really just don't need to go down more than like 15, 20, 30 feet. It looks ain't? like they're shallow.
0: Yeah, yeah, it looks like they're very just shallow. 30
1: feet <clears> and, and just enjoy the fish and the colors and everything. Because once you get down past sixty feet or so, you start losing the color anyway. Yeah, and you don't red.
0: you don't really see a whole lot down nope. there, I don't feel like. No. Nope. I even snorkeling. You know, I wouldn't mind like the snorkeling That's part right. of That's it. Fun. Just go out, let them sure. um I got a, a friend of mine, he actually has an appliance. They go out and they find these, like, black shark's teeth. And, I mean, some of
1: them's, like, huge. How about that?
0: Yeah, they they look like an arrowhead. They're they're neat. That's what he's actually getting his son lined out to be one of those kind of guides or whatever. They go out and they find the shark.
1: My wife still has jars full of uh, shells that she collected while we were over there. That's her thing. Oh, yeah. He loves those shells.
0: We, We collect them. Bring them back. And
1: yeah.
0: I don't know where they end up after we get back, but they're somewhere.
1: <laughs> You'll find them in a few years. That's right.
0: <laughs> so, well, look, it was an hour and 40 minutes. And you said, man, I hope I can come up with an hour. About that. <laughs> it is. It's, once you get to talking, man, and fun to talk. Half yeah. of the stuff that wrote down. I mean, yeah, you just. You everybody ventures off in this.
1: Well, you might better edit some of it out of there. No, nah, no, nah, I'm good.
0: <laughs> this is really good, man. I enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm glad you came on, and um, I appreciate your service, man. I really well, do. I, I do. From
1: I would truly do it again if they if they didn't tell me that I was so old that I can't do it again. I'd do it again. Really, I really would. Yeah. Uh, you know, most Marines that I know say the same thing and mean it. You know, speaking from the heart, uh, we'd probably do it.
0: again. Yeah. That means a lot. I mean, I mean, fighting for your country, whether he's on the front lines or
1: yep.
0: in the back scenes. I mean, if they would have called you to go to the front lines.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, and that kind of stuff. And that's the reason why I'm able to do what I am today. And I appreciate it. I really do. But I've enjoyed it. I hope to have you back, man.
1: Well, I don't know what we'd talk about. That was my whole life right there.
0: <laughs> well, we'll make something up.
1: That was, there. There you go. <laughs>
0: That's what I always tell people too. I'm like, that's the truest story I ever made up. Because <laughs> 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 well, I'll make up stuff just to get so I can keep talking, you, you know. But I appreciate it, man, I appreciate you coming. Thanks for having yep. me. Yeah, yes, I sure, sir. Uh,
1: I sure appreciate talking about old times. You know, I just don't get to do it that often. Uh, me and my Marine brothers, we still get together quite often, and every once in a while, people remember things that you wish they'd forget. Oh,
0: yeah, I'm sure. Uh,
1: None of those things we've talked about (laughs) today, though.
0: (laughs) And y'all, the Marine thing is the rah, right?
1: That's right, oorah.
0: rah. Yeah, centrify and rah. Well, I appreciate it, man. All right. Enjoyed it, brother. All right. Thanks for having me. Uh Uh-huh. If you're wanting to shop Guest who merchandise or maybe create your own, Check out addisondesigns.us. They have everything from hats, shirts, koozies, coasters. You name it, they make it. Uh, Check them out, addisondesigns.us. Don't forget to use the promo code GUEST2. Receive 10% off. Check them out.